Welcome to the King's Table. Welcome to the King's Table, a podcast of Christ the Lord Church in Dayton, Ohio. The King's Table exists to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all. From the altar table to the dinner table, the conference table to the pool table, because Jesus is Lord over all. Welcome back to the table, guys. It is mailbag time. Everybody's favorite. So this week... We are going back to the mailbag and want to take a little bit different direction than last time where we accidentally developed kind of a theme, <laughs> I guess, sort of, uh, and go Just for more. A lot of the same questions in that vein. Yeah, it was, we, I don't know, took a little bit of a rabbit hole, I guess, as we kept diving down. Uh, so this time we want to kind of jump around a little bit more and explore some variety, we hope. But we might just spiral down again. <laughs> so, who knows? We'll see. So, with that, let's uh, let's go ahead and tackle this. We have uh, not just recently, uh, but it is regularly our practice, I think, to make what some might call kerfluffles on social media. <laughs> right? Kerfluffle. What's a kerfluffle, Russ? Uh, you can. It's probably worth a Google, as Joker said to Batman and Lego Batman. Um, there are arguments, discussions, sarcastic remarks, uh, general exploration of ideas. Some would say nuanced. Others might say just philo- philosophical. Uh, I don't know. So the question but, then is that we got in the mailbag. Uh, kind of twofold, so I'll let you kind of take which aspect you want. When and how should a Christian use sarcasm and provocative language? And we're usually talking about, at least in our immediate context to us, in that same line of thought, how should a Christian use or not use social media? Yeah. What are your thoughts? Well, I never say anything controversial on social media. That's because you're not on Facebook. I just post pictures of my cats. (laughs) I know someone does that. (laughs) <laughs> I know a few people who do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think the first thing we got to establish, and I think it's unfortunate we got to establish, is that is it's it mailbag? Is it even minute answer? <laughs> thirty minute answer. Three. Oh, three minute answer. <laughs> Start the clock, Russ. Well, I'm going to ask a different question and answer that, and that'll be three minutes, it's and then I'm gonna, not how the mail works. <laughs> that, that's how I'm going to do it. Is is we first have to establish is it even okay? morally for a Christian and a public, particularly a public Christian, and maybe even more specifically a male public Christian, to use any kind of language that would not be considered nice, altogether agreeable, altogether... uh, (laughs) According to what standard? Well, I know, I know. (laughs) Who says what's nice? (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree. So the question is, is... Then can can is it okay for them to use sarcasm or provocation ever? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the reality is right now, no. That's the answer. It's no. You're not allowed to. If you say something provocative, you're clearly being not nice. You are, as I was accused of recently. I am um, 
turning people away from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that's and that's not very nice of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the but the reality is 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 it ever okay? for a Christian to say something that's provocative. And for that, I would say, we'll just go to our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, he plenty of times said things very provocative, like, let the dead bury the dead, or, um, uh, you know, get behind me, you brood of vipers, or when he's talking to Pilate, and he says, uh, uh, you know, you would have no authority except what is given to you from heaven. I mean, he's saying that to someone in a lot of authority. Mm-hmm. It would probably make some people mad but what about the woman um, at the well um he yeah he he points out how many um uh, uh husbands she has had right and i imagine that that poor hurting woman would not feel very welcome at uh the church that jesus was at because mm-hmm. he said that sure. yeah i mean wouldn't that be uh like slut shaming that's what it would be labeled as today yeah 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 um, or when Jesus says, uh, you know, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it out or cut it off. And if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. I mean, Jesus uses provocative language. So then the question comes, um, well, so when did Jesus use provocative language and what was his motive behind the provocative language? The, the provocative language was aimed at one thing and motivated by something else. Uh, and these won't be surprising. It was aimed at discovering and revealing the truth, mm-hmm. the truth of the situation, the truth of the matter, ultimately God's truth. That's what it was aimed at. That was the purpose. <clears throat> and what was it motivated out of? Always love, mm-hmm. which is clearly how Christians are commanded to speak, to speak the truth in love. So to speak provocatively for the sake of building one's own empire or building one's own kingdom or out of selfishness or just for provocative sake or to draw attention to yourself uh, is not acceptable for a Christian. But to use provocative or sarcastic language for the purpose of revealing the truth, getting at the truth, um, and done so out of love for those people, uh, absolutely. And that's that's when it's let me back up that's when it's acceptable for a christian to use that kind of language then the question is is when should a christian use that language and i'm going to say that's a matter of wisdom yeah uh when like uh, is it it will it best serve the people in front of you um and that's going to be like a holy spirit counsel counselors kind of question um cuz for some people it's it's going to be great and some people it's not now, now, we'll say this. You cannot just say, okay, well, that was a wise choice to use sarcasm because that person responded positively. <laughs> that right. person might respond negatively, but still the truth of the matter was revealed. And so using sarcasm or provocation is potentially uh, still a very wise decision in that moment. So there you go. That's, that's my short answer to that question. Yeah, that's good. I think that there is a love-hate relationship that I have with social media. I'm not on Facebook, but I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I get plenty in trouble on those um, sites and get my wrist slapped. Um, I do think that there can be a lot of foolishness on social media. I do think it's something that we have to be uh, mindful of how we use it. But it is a tool, and if you use it as a tool um, for God's glory, I think it's a good thing. 
I do believe there's an argument to be made that there's a responsibility for especially leaders, um, so people in our position as pastors, to use that as the public square. Um, it it feel every time I say Twitter or social media is like the public square, mm-hmm. it feels very um, weak and kind of silly in comparison to what the public square once was. Mm-hmm. Um, where men actually faced each other and looked each other in the eye, which is a, a good thing. Um, and I think as a general rule, you should be mindful of any anything that you're saying on Twitter, you should make sure you actually are doing those things in flesh and blood, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, your um, debates, your statements, if you're not willing to say those to people's faces, mm-hmm. uh, and, I'm, and I'm not speaking in a Matthew 18 sense, but just like in a, your boldness uh, in the public sphere. If you're not willing to say those things at your town hall meetings, yeah, don't just be a keyboard warrior. Yeah, if you're not sa- willing to say those things mm-hmm. at your town hall meetings <laughs> or, or at a school, <laughs> it's especially especially gold when someone makes a comment like like they're trying to drop a bomb and then they block you. <laughs> this <laughs> like, is true. <laughs> like that's a right. that is a new level of cowardice. It's like trying to posterize somebody <laughs> in the NBA, but the guy's not there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> ah, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Exactly. So yeah. that and that that's the foolishness that you see running rampant, where you had to actually face your foe, right? <laughs> so we've lost a lot of that in rhetoric and debate and so on and so forth. And we need to make sure we're cultivating that somewhere. I think that's good to cultivate that in your local church with mm. men have activities and events where you can have those kinds of conversations where men can be, um, can't hide, you know, and they're called out. Yeah. But I do, my point is that I do think that there's a responsibility Mm -hmm. that we have to take advantage of social media because, and and one reason we need to do that is because the, the enemy has taken full advantage of social media. Absolutely. You know, the LBGTQ agenda, especially the trans agenda, um, as it pertains especially to children, has been largely pushed through social media, especially YouTube influencers. Yeah. Right? And so if we, if Christians aren't making good media uh, and seeking to exercise dominion for the kingdom in those areas, then the enemy will. Mm-hmm. And that's, like it or not, that's a part of the world in which we live. Yeah. yeah. All right, I appreciate you bringing up the public square because what's the difference between now and then is not just the face-to-face aspect, but who's actually going to speak up in that public square. Because now everyone does. Yeah. There are blathering fools all over the public square. Yeah. All right. And so then what happens is when you start to employ rhetorical devices, to your point a moment ago, such as sarcasm, mm. people feel shame. All right. Now they attribute the shame to your sarcasm. Mm-hmm. But it's what you did earlier. You exposed that their intellectualism that they're blathering on about actually holds no water. Mm -hmm. And so the shame that comes with that is effectual. And a God-honoring reveal the truth and help humiliate appropriately this person who needs humbling. That's gold, yeah. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. That's a huge tool for it. Which is a grace to them. It's a grace to them. One of the chief ways that you help stupid people see stupid arguments is by repeating their stupid back to them. Yeah. (laughs) seriously like if you don't believe me watch shark tank uh with they will throw out these terrible offers to these businessmen and the businessmen will write it down and they'll read it back to them right i just watched one uh, i think kevin offered something back and and 
the guy, the guy who just reads his offer back to him. So you want me to quadruple your money and you're going to keep 3% of my company forever. <laughs> and Mark Cuban's next to him, just like losing his mind. Dying, laughing. He's laughing like crazy. They just read it back to you and you're like, Oh yeah, that was dumb. Mm-hmm. And we don't, we don't have that kind of self inventory. You type it, you hit enter. It's gone. Right. Mm-hmm. Comedians so, use that kind of. Oh yeah. Mocking, right. And people laugh their heads off mm-hmm. because it's true. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. There you go. So, so no, that's that's awesome. Um, I'm glad we didn't miss that for my blabbering comments here that are forthcoming. Um, there are nuanced intellectual <laughs> arguments. I'm told. Well, I'm, <laughs> philosophical arguments. Uh, to to aim at uh, a Christian's understanding and use of social media. That that's why I'm, I'm going to speak to that for just a second. Um, the first thing you got to realize in our current culture is what what the left has been working on is creating a suspicion between every potential uh distinction of people mm-hmm. whether that's class generation um race or whatever so what's happened now is whatever group you associate with for that particular moment, because at different times you associate with different groups. You know, it could be a sports team, it could be a, again a, your race, it could be your age. So whatever the moment is that you are particularly um, committed to, you are then suspicious by by uh, our indoctrination from our culture of anybody else that's in a different group. So the ability to then have a reasonable conversation with someone of whom you are deeply suspicious of Mm -hmm. becomes nearly impossible to have because Mm -hmm. suspicion drives fear, which is very emotional. And when emotions are raging, reason is far gone. Mm -hmm. So... The reality is then when you engage in any kind of rhetoric, let alone social media, but particularly on social media, the chances of winning someone over that's in a different camp is slim to none. Yeah. They're suspicious of you. It's just not going to happen. So when, when I engage in social media, my goal is not to convince the the first ones to blast me on a on a response i know i'm not going to convince them and i honestly couldn't care less if i convince them right. um my desire in social media and using social media is to strengthen the ones who are faithful to the truth to strengthen the ones who are on the right team when it comes to these things and lord willing to win over the squishy middles um, now, with this most recent uh, thing on modesty that that I got in trouble for on social media, there I got a, like at least two or three conversations with people afterwards, um, one over text, that they were clearly strengthened mm-hmm. by that whole display. And how were they strengthened? They were strengthened in two ways. They were strengthened because they saw the truth and because they saw the folly. They saw it both juxtaposed in one thread, um, the the truth and lies. Which is what Proverbs is trying to do. It's help you see Lady Wisdom. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So for me, that whole thread, even though I got slandered and all that, it was a win. 
And it didn't cost me that much time to strengthen a bunch of people that needed strengthening. Mm-hmm. So I learned a new term today that describes everything I think you just said uh, from Mr. Doug Wilson. So if you don't like that, you can just turn it off now. I'll save you time. <laughs> it's from C.S. Lewis, though. So, I mean, you know, you got to like him. Yeah. You, you're gonna, maybe you just close one of your ears or something. I don't know. Uh, it's called bulverism. And so that was sarcasm. Hey, see what he did? That's that's why we just rode with it. Yeah, hold on. (laughs) I just wanted to let people know. That's true. That's a good point. We should just like people don't know. Got color code this stuff for people. Take everything so dang seriously. So it's talking about uh, it's called bulverism, and uh, this is a little long, but it's it's helpful. Uh, He's talking specifically about people being able to not deal with your arguments by assuming your motives, which is everything we've talked about for the last two or three episodes, right? Yeah. Uh, when it comes to taking care of women, it's because you want power, right? They just go. So if they can write off how you got there, then they don't have to deal with your argument because whatever your motive was or however you arrived to the point is enough to dismiss you. So that's that's the the scheme. So C.S. Lewis says this. In other words, you must show that a man is wrong before you start explaining why he is wrong. The modern method is to assume without discussion that he is wrong and then distract his attention from this, the only real issue, by busily explaining how he became to, or how he became to be so silly. In the course of the last 15 years, I have found this vice so common that I have had to invent a name for it. I call it Bulverism. Someday, I'm going to write the biography of its imaginary inventor, Ezekiel Bulver, whose destiny was determined at the young age of five when he heard his mother say to his father, who had been maintaining that two sides of a triangle were together greater than the third. Oh, you say that because you are a man. At that moment, E. Bulver assures us, there flashed across my opening mind the great truth that refutation is no necessary part of argument. Assume your opponent is wrong, and then explain his error, and the world will be at your feet. Attempt to prove that he is wrong, or worse still, try to find out whether he's right or wrong, and then national dynamism of our age will thrust you to the wall. That is how Bulver became one of the makers of the 20th century. <laughs> I just, that's, man, I keep oh, man. finding the terms for these things that we've experienced yeah. over the past several years. And it's, here it is, alive and well to see us. And that's, a, that's everything that's, that's wrapped up in that. And obviously it's sarcasm. He's even using right there. Right. So what ultimately happens with these people is they experience a painful feeling, mm-hmm. which is a prick of grace. Uh-huh. And they don't like where it came from rather than what it revealed. And so this sarcasm is wrong. Now, does yeah. that mean that we should use provocative language? Well, that's where it gets a little bit potentially trickier. We're not just using a tool like I think in sarcasm, but to potentially to intentionally provoke someone does give a lot more like potential motive concern, right? What are we trying? Are we actually bullying people here? Because we can provoke our children. We're explicitly told not to do that, especially as fathers. Pro- no, pro- provoke them to to anger. To anger. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's. So not, we have not to never provoke our not children. Not never. No. Okay. Uh, so we have some concerns there. There is room for some of that. So where do you guys try personally to draw some protective boundaries on these things that most people would say we have no filter <laughs> or no boundary? <laughs> 
Yeah. What, what you, that Wilson said in that interview with Piper is frustrated with him about his use of provocation. <laughs> he yeah. said, and he's like, I just want you to know. We're always holding back. I'm always holding back. <laughs> Piper's like, that doesn't, that doesn't help. <laughs> Emotional Piper. That was, doesn't help well, me. Well, he had much more hair. Doesn't help me. <laughs> I don't Pro- have any safeguards. Well, provocative is, which is funny. You mentioned Piper and Wilson, which is a funny, very close relationship they're always hilarious together. they're really funny <laughs> together and especially as they age but piper uses provocative language provocative language yeah, always so i'm not saying provocative language is bad i'm saying there's there are room for it and we can take it too far what are the safeguards so what are your sure safeguards? but i'm again I'm, his, I'm his chief statement is provocative the chief in demand oh, is yeah. to glorify god by yeah enjoying him forever right right that's a provocative and his christian hedonism and and so on so that's very provocative language it's just um more winsome right Hmm. it it's um it it eventually it goes out he eventually goes after sin you're okay you're delighting in something else right but we always think of provocative language in the sense of like calling people hose or something right aggressive yeah more aggressive mean yeah so but if you understand like that's part of this is just people are dumb Mm -hmm. right and as as you said that one of the things about the public square in times past was the blathering idiot you know would be pushed away Mm -hmm. right and now people are just left to run amok Mm -hmm. and they don't have to suffer the consequences they can just block oh yeah right and then they have enough random people who because the world is at your fingertips Mm -hmm. on social media that are going to be able to um, not know them, not not see their character like you would in the town, you know, like oh, that's yeah. the town fool. So mm-hmm. whatever, whatever he says, we're just gonna not listen to him. So anyway, language can be provocative in different ways that you use it. Whether you're Wilson or Piper, they both use provocative language. Um, I think again, highlighting what Matt said about being provocative for for, for provocative sake, I think um, can potentially be unhelpful and sinful. Um, I think a good, um, Bryn's reading through Acts right now, and she's found it really helpful just, um, seeing how Paul, the shrewdness of Paul and how he handles different situations. Mm -hmm. And that's been really good for her and for, for me as we've looked through that on what are the times to, to use provocative language at times he's making, he's saying things to make the religious leaders fight, (laughs) you know, and I got to. I got to think he sits, sits back and chuckles at that while they're all fighting each other about the resurrection. So, um, provocative for provocative safe sake, provocative for provocative <sighs> sake, I think can be potentially symbol and needs to be a, a marker for us. Mm-hmm. You don't want to lose your gravitas in that. You know, if it's always the same thing, there's a potential for being, um, just folly, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think it depends on what you're going after. I, I said earlier, this is not necessarily in, in uh, direct answer to your question, but I said earlier I was being sarcastic about your sarcasm. And I said, it's almost like we need to say, I'm using sarcasm here to prove my point because we live in such an ignorant world and we also live in a world that is, like Matt was explaining earlier, is very suspicious and incredibly fearful of everything. Can't trust anybody. Like There's no levity or joy in our world and and irrational fear and suspicion of everything and everybody is a sign of God's judgment on a nation, right? Oh, yeah. Because God's people rejoice and are glad, and they it's basically the Tower of Babel. Yeah, and and God's people are called to be 
um, jolly brawlers. Like we're supposed to have joy in the midst of our our fighting. And so th- we've lost we've lost the the um, the understanding of a joke, right? And the understanding of sarcasm, like our our fathers used to use, because we live in such a world that is so fearful and suspicious. Mm-hmm. So well, that's a side note to your question, but I, I think the. The short answer to your question is, uh, for me anyways, is what's my aim? Like, I just want to ask, what is my aim and what is my motive? Like, I'm going to I'm gonna try to ask that every time. And even when I'm saying something that's rather nice mm-hmm. or kind or what would be called gentle, what is my motive? Because my motive in there might be just as equally sinful. It, it might be I'm going to. I'm actually going to hold back the provocation and, and exchange in something that's less prickly because I'm just fearful of how they might respond or I might be scared of losing a friend or, or you know, getting attacked, you know, which is just as sinful. But that is more palatable mm-hmm. today than letting the prickly thing yeah. uh, uh, ride. So I, I, that, those are going to be my checks. Imbalances. Oh. Another check I would add, oh, not necessarily a check, but just a rule. Always, always, always speak plainly. Mm-hmm. And just plain speech is often what gets accused as being provocative and sarcastic and oppressive and hate speech, right? Yeah. You're just speaking mm-hmm. plainly. So you, as you think about Jesus and his use of provocative language or sarcasm, I'm sure that some of that looked different even in tone and and in um, demeanor, talking to the Pharisees, maybe versus the woman at the well, we have to speculate on that, yeah. right? But nonetheless, he speaks very plainly, right? Yeah. And and both of them are very hard to hear. So always, always, always speak plainly. It's like always cook the proper, always put the proper ingredients in there for the recipe. Maybe add some of your own flair, right? If it would be helpful. Yeah. But don't add I, unnecessary flair if you don't need to. Yeah. yeah. Now. I think the person who um, who wrote this question knows what I'm about to say. Okay. But I think when this when this question is typically asked, it's missing uh, something vital. They're okay. missing something vital, and that is um, r- in in our world right now, one's emotional uh, status mm-hmm. is king the way they feel in this moment, because none of their life is based on anything transcendent. It's all about the way they feel. And that feeling is very fragile, right? I mean, all of us, our emotions are very fragile things. They, they blow with the wind to and fro. So if, if our culture is driven by uh, people's emotional status, then anything you say, no matter how it's said, if it disrupts the emotional status of that person, it's going to somehow have to be judged wrong or inadequate or insufficient or uh, somehow so that that person can get back to the emotional status that they want. Equilibrium. Uh, do what? Emotional the, yeah, equilibrium. The equilibrium, exactly. So they're going to dismiss it. So let's not miss the fact that what's being disrupted for most people is their idol, which is their emotional equilibrium. And what is disrupting that is the truth. 
but they instead of arguing so back with off, the bro. yeah so instead of arguing with that was the sarcasm truth, hey. just, just for the record thanks for color coding that right so instead of dealing with the issue uh the actual truth that's being spoken they have to argue uh with the way it was said um so i just want to say we or challenge your motives provocation or sarcasm gets picked on but i think if you step back and actually watch all spaces of discussion and rhetoric anything any way of saying anything that disrupts someone's preferred um emotional status is going to get rejected like it just it just happens to be those ones um for some reason are rising to the surface so i i agree with you a hundred percent i because i think that's the soup du jour uh, the flavor of the day it is um what i and how i use provocation is a little bit less uh gunslinger than others at this table uh, but I use it a lot, maybe or maybe more than than you guys do, because the general rule I have found is that with provocation, people don't like other other versions of that, like testing. They don't like it when people test you. Uh, they don't like it when um, you're trying to basically expose them, because provocation I use to help expose the fact that there's nothing underneath of you. Hmm. If I can draw you out from where you feel comfortable and you don't have anything to stand on, then I've exposed the whole lay of the land. And so people don't like it when I provoke them because I'm, I know there's a weakness there. And the only people who don't have to fear being provoked are those who have something to stand on. Have something to stand on. So right? we, we, Russ and I enjoy watching the show Hot Ones <laughs> yeah. where they interview famous people while they eat incredibly spicy wings. Ah. Right? So an example of your point, right? Mm-hmm. Of, you know, these famous actors and so on who, and I heard the guy who started it interviewed and he was like, man, all these people, they're just, they're just like doing a script. Yeah. How could we disrupt that? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, what if we interviewed them and uh, had them eat really spicy wings? And made they them, lose it. Made them literally sweat. <laughs> literally, yeah. And, and they're all over the place, you know. It's interesting when you have these very famous, beautiful powerful rich people drooling on the table yeah (laughs) right (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's crazy so that provocation that testing is an incredibly valuable tool Mm -hmm. yeah that should not be dismissed and now recognize what's my aim in that exposing the truth of the matter right Mm -hmm. now that can be because of my love for that individual person it can be because of my love for god and both are absolutely acceptable Right. Mm-hmm. As we start to take this into the next aspect of it, where we have this question of should we ever intentionally antagonize our enemies? Mm-hmm. And that's where you start to see provocation can be used uh, offensively, too. And 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 enough and in an offensive way. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, it, it's an offensive tool for us uh, as pastors. We use that a lot. Um, and if you have a problem with that, man, deacons are supposed to be tested before they rise to the occasion that's not just in rhetoric it's in all of life but just in case you wonder about my exegesis um the provoking testing mechanism Your exegesis is suspicious russ uh, i've heard it's even even for me right um <laughs> it, it 
it's absolutely an acceptable thing, and and Jesus uses this as well. So the challenge then for us is, all right, well let's 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 get out of the public square good faith argument. Now we're on the battlefield. You have an opponent. Yeah. Can you antagonize them intentionally? Probably first. Who would you define as your enemy? Then, how might you set that up with pray for your enemies? Uh, how might you set that up with the fruit of the spirit is these types of things? How would you guys walk through that? Well, my question would first be: Does God ever uh, encourage or command His people to go antagonize their enemies? You just got to read Joshua. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think is happening when they're marching around the city? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Like, what do you what do you think? Um, you know, Nehemiah is doing when he's building the wall. Mm-hmm. Like, what is God doing with the plagues of Egypt? Yeah. Yeah. Right. What's Noah doing when, when he's mm-hmm. speaking on God's behalf in those moments? Yeah. yeah. There's antagonization happening. What about Gideon? Going so the thing you remember about Gideon is when he actually fights or when he actually you know breaks the pots and is surrounded the enemy. But before he does that, what's he what does he do? He goes and breaks down the altars at night. Mm-hmm. Those are provoking, mm-hmm. right? The head of Dagon is 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 fallen off in front of the Ark of the Covenant. So just for our, our detractors, what about in the New Testament? Well, I was going to say another one was most classic and my favorite is Elijah, mm-hmm. right? I mean, oh, yeah, there's I a lesson in sarcasm. <laughs> My favorite one is when he's like, when when there's no rain, mm-hmm. and he's like, "That's what your God's supposed to be good at." <laughs> <laughs> that's his. That's his one thing. This is what he's known for. And he can't make it rain. Yeah. You know, here's here's a should have worshipped Steph Curry. Here's a here's a great one from the New Testament. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. I would call that antagonization. I would call brood of vipers. Uh, whitewashed tombs. Yes. Mm-hmm. Every, um, almost. I e- mean, but but Paul going back in the street after they admonished him, mm-hmm. not almost, to do it anymore. Almost every answer that Jesus gives the Pharisees, well, I mean, you see by their response, they're incredibly agitated by it. Uh-huh. Right? He's egging them on, and this is a part of the part of the question we can get to in a minute. But like a part of the answer of should we do that? Jesus does this intentionally, provokes his enemies as a lesson to everybody else around. Yeah. And he's, what does he say? Don't be like them. Yeah. Don't be like yep. these people. And let me show you how foolish they are by antagonizing them and letting them get their, their that's, um, that's where I wanted robes to get in a bunch. Was you have the riot in Ephesus, right? Why? Mm-hmm. Because he's taking away from their trade. Why? Right. Because he's said the truth. Yeah. So why is our speech being labeled, defined, criticized as antagonistic simply based on their response to, to your question of emotion and disrupting mm-hmm. the fact that they get disrupted mm-hmm. automatically makes me just saying bible verses mm. antagonistic yes right. that's here's, the problem that's where we found ourselves yeah here's why because of hegemonic power mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you're the one in the power seat mm-hmm. And you're using that as a tool Quote, unquote, of, man of, God. of control yeah. and power and manipulation to serve your own good. Hmm. That's why. Mm-hmm. 
My bad. I'll just keep reading my Bible to myself then. Because I read it out loud, apparently I'm antagonizing. Right. I mean, I'm pretty sure Jesus said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he was in the power seat mm-hmm. So when he used all of those rhetorical flourishes. Right. And and when you think about when I sit in a, in a sermon and one of you guys are preaching or I've sat in other sermons and the Holy Spirit starts to use the preacher regardless of if he's being provocative or not, the spirit of God takes the word of God and presses it upon the sinful places of my heart and it causes a stir. I get angry and and I get angry because my idols are being shot. The lights being shined upon my idols and wrestled and they're being wrestled. They're about to be taken away. Right. You know, a dog growls when you try to take his toy away, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's why there's a riot in Ephesus. Right. Yep. Because because he was he was going after their idols and it wasn't just the idols that had no ears to actually hear or eyes to see it was the money it was it was the power it was all of that behind the scenes and so that's ultimately why you get like what you guys faced recently on on the Facebook you know because you go after the idol mm-hmm. right and people get really angry when you start pointing out their idols yeah right mm-hmm. that's why Jesus got crucified. That's why Paul got stoned, right? That's why Peter got thrown into prison. Yeah. So let's let's keep going and, and really pressing into that. What about specifically enemies? Do we have enemies? Should we have enemies if we do have them? And if so, how should we engage them? My my question to people who say, should we have enemies, is does God have enemies? Thank you. Well, and how can God command us to love our enemies if you if don't, have, we don't any. have any enemies? I think it was... Because so, con- God's not going to command us to do something that we can't do. Right. I think it was Eric Conn who said, I can't love my enemies if I don't make any or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's like, right, yeah, you you should. It should be a kind of a no-duh moment when you read the scriptures. Obviously, God has enemies. It's a very poor exegesis to uh, go through the scriptures and, and not realize that um, those who walk faithfully... Jesus says are going to suffer persecution and where are you going to suffer persecution from? From It's your really hard enemies. to encounter that when you simply just find those verses from Bible Gateway. Exactly. So yeah. you don't get to actually read through all of it. <laughs> right. So, you don't have to read the verses before and if after. You, yeah, there's a button on there that says expand to whole chapter. Yeah. I preached a sermon on this in Hebrews. I think it was what? It was Hebrews 10 before we got to 11 with... Um, the heroes of faith, those who were associating their self with those in prison, mm-hmm. right? And he's com- he's commending them, he's commending the saints, he's a warning against apostasy, and then he says, but I'm sure of better things for you. And, and the main evidence that he gives them there is that they were being persecuted for their faith, and they w- this wasn't a passive persecution. This was a, you're being persecuted because this is, as you were talking about last week, like this this stuff is doing something. Like this is the kind of thing that overthrows governments. Mm-hmm. That's why Rome worked so hard to put it out. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so he's commending them as that's an evidence of their faith mm-hmm. that you have enemies. If, if you don't, I just say, if you don't have enemies as a believer, then, then either your faith is incredibly small and you're a coward or you're just not a Christian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a couple of short rapid fire questions to sum us up. Should you have enemies? Yes. Why? God has enemies. Yeah. Why are they enemies of God and you? Because they are, stand against 
righteousness, right? Yes. Yep. So then those people you should antagonize. How do you antagonize them? You just call them names like, hey, stupid, quit being stupid. You're ugly. I mean, that's what they say to us. You're right. ugly, right? That's called dumb. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not too far off. <laughs> that's not too far off. It's not that kind. We're provoking them and antagonizing them intentionally, as Ephesians 6 would say with the sword of the Spirit, by using the word. Say, yeah. hey, what you're doing is sin. Stop it. What is Jesus doing to the Pharisees? He's calling them to repentance, mm -hmm. ultimately. That's the attack. So then my question is, what hurt are they actually suffering from my antagonistic intentional malice mm. a disruption to their emotional equilibrium the Russ. grace of the word <laughs> lands on them and disrupts their emotional equilibrium yeah i'm not like punching these people in the mouth right. like i do that in jujitsu like on accident but that's not what we're, you'll be okay you mm. can you can recover from that we can do that instead and ideally, True. you can repent and join my team, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, man, how arrogant of you! I that lands me kind of where I want to kind of pull this is. I, we are generally, I think, coming at this from a little bit more masculine perspective. That's mm -hmm. where we're at. Sure. So when you think as, of, as we should be, as yeah, men. when you think about though the genders in this, should it be the same for men and women in the church? Is there differences between the way that we engage in this? What is similar? What is different? Now, I think all the principles and driving factors that I gave uh, crosses gender. Mm -hmm. um, I think there is an observable, and I'll say I think why in a second, but I think there is an observable tendency to use provocation as a man that is more aggressive. Mm-hmm versus provocation as a woman that is uh, provocation for women tends to be more subtle and emotional and yep so um those i think are observable distinctions mm -hmm. and i think that's by our creator's design i think that fits the genesis paradigm of men are going to be the ones who are going to conquer are going to you know uh, and, and women are not uh, generally have the same um, uh, proclivities, you know, to, to do that. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's how I'd answer that question. Um, here's a question for you. I'll, I'll answer your question with a question. I don't know if I can handle that. Oh, sorry. Um, what about a man? That was sarcasm. I, I got you. I'm good. Just I'm not. My feelings aren't hurt. I'm good. What about a man's provocation towards a woman? Is there, should we, as men, use a different, quote-unquote, tone, posture? Um, what are your thoughts there? Uh, it's going to be a little bit more along the question of, like, which kind of provocation are you talking about? Right. Um, I, I, we do testing as I described in a pastoral sense all the time, mm -hmm. I do it with my wife. I do it with my kids. Um, I do it across I'm, the board. Maybe it depends on how butch the woman is. This is true. <laughs> you look like a man. <laughs> That's always the hardest thing about me. When you see those very butch lesbians out, I'm just like, Hey, I don't walk like that as a man. Mm -hmm. Right. And B, how I look. Yeah. I'm like B, you do have that, like you do. She looks like a dude, so I want to like 
posture at that lady like a dude and like you know i'm like i gotta remember you're a lady <laughs> i think <laughs> let's just remember jesus and the woman at the well like that was quite pro- like quite provocative right and old woman man so, <laughs> and i'm not old I'm 37 i do think in general men Monty should not Python. talk to women like they do other men like at least have some of the same freedoms that they do hmm. so so I'm just going to short circuit this one because I love you guys and we have a couple other questions. Well, here. I was going to lead us into our next questions on that. We can oh, just do this. I don't know which ones those are. We should just end here. About women's that. sins. Oh, well, that's a whole fun one. Yeah. Women's sins? Yeah. Can women sin, first of all? No. Well, that's a part of the problem yeah, yeah. that I was trying to, trying no, to unpack a little bit. They is are like gold. Well, so let me answer your question. That, I have a, well, that's I have a, a part of the, on That's that. a part of the hegemonic power thing is you can't. Oh, Matt's playing his trump card. You he can't cover this. This is true. He has. Yeah. This is also a shameless plug <laughs> for his for podcast. With, for Withy Wendell. Which he's really Man's, just trying to get you to buy those golden eggs. That's ooh. what he's wanting to get you to do. Because that's how he's able to have his they are. It's a woman-made product. This is true. So... I have you love women. <laughs> I'm enabling them. Mm-hmm. Right. That's like the coffees that I can get from women-run farms. My answer to you is yes, you can. But it's the 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 thing that changes it is the way that we have always defined gentleness: appropriate amount of strength. Yeah. Gentleness. You you do it, but then you do it in a gentler way because they are a weaker vessel. Right. right? So you take those with your window eggs and you chuck them in the back of the car. Yeah. That's not the appropriate. Oh, no Randy Johnson right. in there. But you you chuck a couple sacks of potatoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you've used the appropriate. Yeah, so you yeah. can chuck women is what you're saying, just yeah, gently. Just gently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Nailed well, you it. handle a Stanley thermos <laughs> differently it. than you do like a nice wine glass. Yes. Right. Wrap. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you handle that differently. Oh, yeah, no. which that'll. I mean, but these days that'll even get you in trouble. Well, you if you really respected them, you would treat them equally, and you'd. Mm-hmm. You'd chuck the women just as hard. <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see that the chick who's in is it, is it uh I forget what league she's in in football? She she's like a former soccer player and she she's the punt. Megan Rapinoe? I don't know who it is. But basically the I could have kicked it further than that. <laughs> My kids could have kicked it further. That's pretty bad. <laughs> the announcers are like, first woman and whatever, and it was like, Oh <laughs> yike. That was bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. So you want to keep going? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about women's sins real quickly. Do women sin? Do they sin? No. No. Just the one time. Just man. Just Eve. Just Eve. And, and then men. And it have was been, really Adam's fault. And then men have been sinning ever since. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. We're done. Moving on. Next question. Where's this one at? I don't know where that question's at either. No, it's mostly about like the yoga pants and the the home that the whole like dresses and modesty and all that good jazz. Can women wear yoga pants? Do you want to do that or not? How long have we been going? Forty-seven. That's good. Just end it right there. Okay. Okay. You can cut out the later. Irish goodbye to sucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. We're done.